Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunders, Anna Kirk and Caroline Gerling. Sasha Zverev takes his second Madrid title. Sabalenka beats Barty with a bagel. And the Billie Jean King Cup finals are looking for a new home. Kim, the Madrid Open has just come to a close. We've just had the men's final. Sasha Zvera versus Matteo Berrettini. The Italian Open, I think, has already started. So it really is kind of all, all hands on deck at the moment. There's just continuous clay court tennis. And we're in this sort of back-to-back Masters, I guess, transitionary period at the moment. Yeah, and it would have been good in a way if we'd have had Rome uh, postponed a week like there were rumours at one point uh, would happen because of the French being put back. But um, yeah, that would have allowed us a bit of room to breathe. But no, I mean, we shouldn't complain, Joel, because it's it's great having this much tennis on, especially the after the dearth of last year. So um, yeah, I'm I'm all here, down for that, um, ready to go. <laughs> and um, I mean, let's, let's start with Madrid because, as you said, we have just had the final between Zverev and Berrettini. Uh, a final that neither of us predicted. I think that's fair to say. Although, <laughs> although I think you did say Berrettini would have a good run and, and that was obviously proved right. Yeah, I mean, he has had, he's been in really good form since he's been coming back from injury. I slightly suspected that Madrid was going to suit kind of the big server, big ground straight players, given Madrid is, you know, the altitude is obviously a factor. And I think, well, I think we've seen that this week, particularly with the final. We've had two sort of big forces, I think, with, as I said, with their serves and their forehands really come to the fore. We saw, we've seen John Isner as well have a pretty decent uh, week coming out of nowhere. So I really felt that this tournament was made for, you know, those players with kind of dominating services. And that's what we got. We got a final between Zverev and Berrettini. And it really was a question of, you know, who was going to bring that A game on the day? Because I felt that both players had shown very, very good tennis, you know, throughout the week. It was just going to see what gave first, really. Yeah, and you could also say that this tournament is pretty much made for Sasha Zverev because he's actually got a really good record at this event. He's got fifteen and two record now in Madrid, and I think across all the Masters tournaments, this is by by far and away, you know, his best one. Um, and this is his second title um, at this event. And actually, it's been three years since he actually won a Masters event, so it's been quite a long time, really, for someone of his ranking to to have gone so long. You know, after kind of his initial breakthrough, winning winning Masters back in 2018. But um, yeah, he came through obviously in three sets today, dropping that first set um, on the tiebreak. He had a set point, wasn't able to convert it. So Berrettini, you know, took that first set, but um, Zverev. You know, stayed very calm, came back to win the next two sets, six four, six three. Um and yeah, I mean, I think his serve really this week has been pretty on point. And we know with Zverev that his game is very dependent on how well his serve is, is getting on. And uh you could really see that this week. He had a lot of confidence with the serve, especially. I mean, we all know his issues with with <laughs> uh, you know, with his second serve particularly, but it felt like this week, you know, it was a very kind of mature I think performance and one that I think showed his sort of mental maturity more than than anything he came through some very kind of tricky matches you know we'll get on to kind of talking about that Nadal match but um yeah he just loves playing in Madrid I mean I don't think he played tennis as good as when he won it the first time round. I think I was reading he won that tournament without even facing a break point but it seems that conditions are absolutely kind of made for him and you know against Berrettini in the final you know, I think I think experience did tell a little bit. I felt, you know, Berrettini, you know, this was his first, uh, you know, Masters level final. And, you know, although he went and set up and he played really, really well until, you know, around sort of four all in that second set, you just felt that he got a little bit tight 
um you know maybe he was thinking oh i could i could be winning my first you know masters 1000 trophy and i think that's when zverev and his sort of maturity i think kind of told and really when it came to the you know the business end of that second set he was able to kind of you know put his kind of put his foot on the gas and you know when he went a break up in the in the third set you just felt like he he wasn't really going to let it go and i think what was so impressive about it was the fact that you know this time like last week you know we, we were kind of we weren't really talking about zverev as a, as a contender you know he, he'd lost to Ilya uh, ivashka in stuttgart um, you know, one of the early rounds, we didn't really know what sort of form he was in, but he is just able to kind of turn it on. And this was just a reminder of his, you know, of his ability on a tennis court and the fact that, you know, on his day, on any court, you know, he he can, you know, he can beat anyone in the world. I feel like it was Munich that he lost to Ivashka, but I, I may be wrong. Um Bavarian tournament. Oh, sorry. Um, yes, it was Munich. <laughs> I keep thinking it was Stuttgart. I don't know why. <laughs> keep getting the mixed up. It's all right. Stuttgart was the women's tournament between Barty and Sabalek. Anyway, yeah. Very easy to mistake it, Joel. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Barty's Zverev, they, they look exactly the same, don't they? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll get on to Barty a bit later as well. But um, yes, I mean, Zverev, you know, obviously beating Rafa in the quarterfinal, uh, beating Dominic Team in the semifinal, who, you know, fair to say, not the player of of last year at the moment. But um, And then obviously Berrettini in the final. So that's three top tenors um, in a row t- to win this title. And uh, yeah, I think it really came down to just those um, at four all in the second set, you know, Zverev capitalised on a couple of errors uh, from Berrettini, you know, when it was getting a bit tight. So it uh, came through and, yeah, I mean, it's where does this put him now? Because I wasn't really thinking about him as being in, in the equation going into Madrid. And now I'm thinking, is he a dark horse for going far at the French? I really don't know. It depends, I guess, how well he keeps up. Because we were all talking about, you know, we were all on about Sissipas last week and, you know, his win, uh, you know, sorry, his final against, you know, Nadal. And, you know, now Zverev's kind of come back and, yeah, it's really been a bolt. I feel it's really been a, a bolt from the blue. I still think, you know, he's still got, you know, he's still got, I think, work to do. Um, You know, I think in this match, you know, he would have felt like going into it. Obviously, he was the, the favourite, but I still think on court, his his demeanour, um, you know, I think there are a few kind of points where he always looks... I don't ever feel like he looks comfortable on a tennis court or, or like he enjoys playing. He always seems to be worried or, you know, when his, his opponent kind of hits a winner or, or whatever. But I just think that he can do a little bit more in terms of having a more positive kind of attitude. As I said, he always kind of looks a bit worried when his pl- his opponent is playing well and doesn't really know kind of what to do. But I think he should just kind of, you know, back himself. And it looks like, you know, his his serving is obviously a, a big part of that. And, you know, he's going to have to obviously make sure that he keeps the, you know, the double double faults down in, in, in single digits. But, you know, he we've got to remember that, even though it can be one of his his weaknesses, and he's shown that in the past, it's also one of his biggest strengths. And we saw that this week. We've seen we saw that also with Berrettini this week because his serving was, you know, very very good. I think it's you know his actions, I guess, a little bit more orthodox. I think it is a little bit more kind of consistent. But you know, both players have very big serves, and you know, I think particularly with Berrettini he is able to kind of back that up with that massive forehand. And I think that was really his story kind of throughout the week in terms of making sure that, you know, he's got a very kind of smart tennis brain and he was making sure that when he kind of placed his serve, he was doing it in a way that made sure that he could get to his forehand and really kind of unload on that. And, you know, no players until Zverev really kind of had an answer to it because he did look very impressive this week also. Yeah, he had some wins over Casper Rude, Christian Garin, obviously uh, Rude in good form at the moment. And Garin is a very competent clay quarter as well. So, I mean, Berrettini was was trying to become the, only the second Italian to win a Masters event. Obviously, Fognini won Monte Carlo a couple of years ago. So uh, Berrettini, you know, not many Italians have actually been, you know, at, at this stage of a Masters um event and uh, I mean Yannick Sinner didn't have a very good week did he he lost to Popper in early on so no. that was a bit of a shame uh, to see him having a bit of a duff week <laughs> I think what's interesting about Berrettini is that you know at the moment you know we are I think you know as, as tennis fans all, all sort of you know looking forward to and hearing about you know players like Sinner and, and Massetti from Italy but I think we've got to remember that you know players like Berrettini I think he is the real deal at the moment in terms of you know someone who is you know, well developed for the, you know, the here and now, you know, we've seen that, um, you know, we've seen that over the last few weeks uh, on on the tour, particularly on the clay game. I think, you know, there are improvements he can make. Um, you know, I still think, 
he's got work to do on his backhand. I think, you know, if I, I was a player and coming up against Berrettini, I would be looking to, I would be looking to play into that backhand because I still think it's, it's a bit of a, Yes, I mean he was he had a few winners off the off his double-handed backhand today, but I still think there's a, a potential kind of source of weakness. But I mean he's doing really well at the moment. He's back in the the top top ten, and you know I think you know what he'll be looking to do is, as I said, kind of develop. I think a more kind of all court game, maybe something that you know Zverev already has off the forehand and the backhand wing at the baseline. I think that's potentially something that Berrettini, you know, could aspire to because I thought his single-handed slice backhand was was very good in sort of killing any sort of power from the other side of the court. But maybe there's a little bit more he could do with the the double-hander. Yeah, I think Berrettini, for me, he just needs that killer edge when it comes to the Mm. very top players to, you know, to get him to to the next level. Um, But uh, yeah, and actually, talking about Italians in Masters final, Sinner did get to the Miami Masters uh, final, which I've just forgotten about and remembered. So (laughs) (laughs) there we go. Anyway, let's touch quickly on uh, Rafa because, yeah, losing to Zverev in that quarterfinal. I thought when Rafa was 4-2 up in the first set, oh, this is nice. I can, (laughs) you know, have a relaxing afternoon watching my favourite player, you know, sort of not cruise, but, you know, have a have a good win here and then uh yeah lost that first set 6-4 and then break down in the second set and before you know it it's very had uh, got over the finish line and it it was a bit sort of like oh okay i thought Rafa had to, got oh, I yeah, know. back to, uh, monte, monte carlo, monte carlo. Yeah. i know i mean i was a bit surprised you know i thought this was just going to be a, a routine victory for rafa as I said, you know, Zverev was coming into this tournament, you know, off losing to, uh, you know, Ilya Vashka. So oh, I was, you know, I, I was surprised by it. Um, and the fact that it was in straight sets as well. I don't know how much we can read into it because I, you know, we've spoken about, you know, the conditions in Madrid. They are not like the conditions in Paris. And, you know, arguably those, the conditions favor someone like Zverev. And, you know, that, that was shown because he, he went on and, and won the tournament. But, um, you know, it does feel at the moment though, in, in kind of the context of their, their rivalry, it, it does feel like Zverev does have the, the, you know, he does have Rafa's number at the moment. Well, he has beaten him three times in a row now. Uh, and that two of those were on hard courts, uh, indoor hard courts at the, the World Tour Finals or ATP Tour Finals, I should say, and the Paris Masters indoors last year. So, yeah, it's three in a row isn't great. But I do like what you said, you know, they're all surfaces that, apart from clay, obviously, but this is a different sort of clay, as we've as we've discussed. It's not clay clay, is it? It's kind of... You know, Madrid is the tournament that Rafa's had the least success at, I suppose, out of all of the clay events. So, you know, he's only won it five times. Uh, I say only. But uh, for any other player, that would be a fantastic achievement. But, uh, well, it is still a fantastic achievement. But, you know, it's compared to 12 of another title. It's, um, you know, pales in, in significance. I do think with, with Zverev, his, like, his frame and his, you know, the, he's so tall, right? And I do think that means, therefore, you know, the ball doesn't, climb up on him as much as maybe it does with a like a, a shorter player um and I think that does kind of kind of help him uh you know when he does play Nadal in terms of that you know that heavy heavy top spin he's able to kind of get get on it kind of naturally because of because of his height um that for me is where I feel like he can sort of nullify that threat a little bit and that may be why he has had kind of success with him but it is still quite surprising but again it is kind of a testament to how good Alexander Zverev is on a, on a tennis court. Yeah, no, exactly. Fair dues to him. I, I'm going to go with the Raffers doing everything in alternate weeks. So he'll be back on it. <laughs> I mean, and are, you win Rome. <laughs> are you worried? Are you worried or are you, are you a bit, are you on edge? I think we have to wait till the Grand Slam. Best of five sets. You know, I just, I don't think Rafa will be in his room crying about this Madrid tournament. So I will just you know, wait and see. Uh, <laughs> certainly Rafa's had better clay seasons, but, you know, he is almost 35 years old and you've got to focus on the most important tournaments, haven't you now? And I don't think, you know, you should lose sleep about these kind of things. It's Ultimately, it will come down to Roland Garros and that is the most important thing. So uh, <laughs> we will get there when we get there. But, I mean, Rafa could be having... Uh, as uh, he could be having a worse clay season, Joel, and and one player that isn't having a very good clay season so far is Daniel Medvedev, <laughs> because he was having a right old Barney on court uh, 
against, well, he was playing Alex, Alex, Alejandro. 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 That's his first. Alejandro. <laughs> Davidovich Fikina. God, that is a mouthful, isn't it, sometimes? Um, and yeah, it wasn't going particularly well for Medvedev. He got a bit annoyed, was um, battering the court, and the umpire had a bit of a go at him. And, uh, you know, classic Medvedev basically getting all worked up and not having the best week on clay. <laughs> I love how yeah he took his frustrations out of the court and he's and you know he got a warning from the umpire and he said in his response he said I cannot do damage to a bad surface it's already damaged <laughs> and I absolutely love this this play out for the fans on television of Medvedev trying to figure out a clay court because you know some players obviously would try and do it you know off uh, you know off court or off TV you know in the you know on the practice courts etc but. I do feel like we're just witnessing Medvedev, uh, you know, in real time, just try and figure out how he plays the surface. Because the the funny thing is that he's done quite well on this surface, you know, in the past. Um, And he's got some pretty big wins on this surface in the past. But regardless of that, he just absolutely, it just feels like he absolutely hates it. And even when he's winning, he just doesn't like it. And, you know, there's probably a, bit of him is like oh when can we get to you know when when can we get back to the grass court season or you know when can we get back to a you know a, a faster court surface but you know I think he's got to remember that you know if he wants to be one of the best in the world he's going to be have to be able to do it all year round and um you know when he when when he figures out how to play you know clay court tennis and get to semi-finals and, and finals again um is anyone's guess but it's absolutely fantastic kind of watching him figure it out on uh you know watching him try to figure it out on court well exactly and the you know again is the right word because he did reach the final in barcelona two yeah, years ago so it's not like he can't do it it's just getting into that headspace i suppose maybe he doesn't like to do the uh the washing afterwards because of all the the clay stains that he gets gets on his is uh on his nice uh his nice outfits yeah, I'm sure he stays up all night, you know, doing <laughs> doing his laundry. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, uh, a couple of other things, Joel, uh, before we go on to discuss the women's event. Uh, we had a few uh, different things happening this week, I suppose. We've got Fox 10, um, which is kind of the Hawkeye that's been developed for clay. So that was being trialed this week. And it fair to say probably didn't go that well because there's still a lot of issues with regards to the the marking you know the ball and and how you can how this new technology actually picks it up you know as a as an alternative to obviously that the the line judges and the umpires deciding and and I don't think the players are particularly convinced by Fox 10 it's very difficult to to track a ball on clay and I I just don't think there's been enough (laughs) Uh, success with this technology for it to carry on I mean I, d- I don't know it's early days but I really don't I, d- I think there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> yeah I think the of judging from some of the you know the situation involving it and you know seeing some of the players reactions it definitely felt like they were a bit yeah they were definitely a bit kind of skeptical of it um you know from a fan point of view I quite liked the you know the visual that that kind of comes out on it I mean we've seen it before we you know we're seeing it for the first time on a clay court but I do like the um I do like the sort of the real uh photographic style visual that you get on the the big screen but it just for me the fact that it kind of goes in kind of that slow motion in that black and white it just shows how much added complexity there is to, you know, marking a ball on a clay court versus any, you know, all the different other types of court surfaces, you know, does it, does it hit the line kind of flush on? Does it skid off the line? Um, You know, it's, it's not as, you know, it's not as clear cut as on other courts and that's just what makes it so difficult. And, you know, this is not a, you know, this is not a new thing. You know, we've, we're constantly, you know, having this debate on, you know, should there be Hawkeye on the clay court or, you know, can we rely on umpires just kind of going down and, and kind of pointing at a ball mark? But, um, yeah, it still feels like there's sort of work, work to be done there. And, and maybe, maybe it should be done in, in, you know, lesser profile events. I was sort of a bit surprised actually they were going to roll it out at a, you know, Masters 1000 on the, on the show court. Maybe it could have been done at a, you know, a more lower level sort of test event, but, um, I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, the Kaja Magica is like the only, you know, it had the facilities able to kind of implement the, implement the technology. But, um, yeah, it, it does feel like there's still quite a bit of work to be done there. Yeah. I think it will be a, a while before it is properly rolled out. I mean, if at all, mm. um, because yeah. it hasn't really resolved the, 
do you want to see it rolled out or would are you happy with just you know an umpire just getting off his chair and or her chair or her yeah or just bumbly or just like pointing out a spot on the you know near a, a baseline or a tram line well if the technology isn't going to be accurate either then you pay what's the point in paying for it why why would a tournament pay for it when they can just you know have the umpire do it if it's going to be uh, you know if, if a player is going to get worked up over an umpire's call fox then isn't necessarily going to resolve that if that's also just as inaccurate potentially as the human eye um it's just tricky isn't it with clay generally so <laughs> we will um it remains to be seen it's a very diplomatic answer they just but... kim they just need to rake the court after every point and then we'll just have no no issues in terms of what the, the bullmark is that would be quite I, i'm up for doing that i think that'd be a great exercise good for the arms and i could then Matthew would love that because it would add a little bit of extra time for him to get ready for the next point yeah while he's fiddling around <laughs> with his pants i'll just run across the court quickly sweeping it and uh, Bob's your uncle, I can watch the tennis <laughs> live and, and get employed to do, you know, court work. Uh, but I mean, also in Madrid, uh, the, you know, the second court, the Arancha Sanchez, oh, awful yeah. shadows where depending on time of the day, you know, watching it on telly, it's not good, is it? No. It's like half the court's in darkness. It's um, really bad. It's yeah, really bad. I don't know what they can really do about that. But I know we've seen this at other places and it's just... Yeah, I mean, they'll have to fiddle with um, maybe the the lighting on the, on the TV. You know, is there a way they can? I, d- I mean, I'm not very technical, but you know what I'm trying to say. But they yeah, need to, not yeah. not a good they need design. To phone, they need to contact the best architect in Madrid or whatever to go and sort that sort that problem out because it's just not good. It's not good for the players. It's it doesn't you know it's not good for the fans. You know, going from you know really bright on potentially one side to kind of complete darkness on the other side you know that that just adds another layer of challenge to you know for i imagine for players it makes it really hard to see the ball um it just yeah it just it's just not it's just not a good look um so i hope next year we can be in a situation where we're not talking about the yeah the lighting and the shade on that second court because yeah it's 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 probably the worst i've ever seen it i think as a fan um on on tv i mean listeners let us know are there any other courts out there that you know are notoriously bad for it because i do think the uh the rancher sanchez court it was yeah it was just un unwatchable at times yeah i definitely agree um let's talk about the women's uh event joel see which concluded on saturday and world number one ash barty who was i say was on a 16 match winning streak on on the red clay that is um and has obviously been picking up titles left right and center so far this year she um she's lost she has been beaten and beaten by a fellow top tenner um we were talking about you know recently about Ash Barty's excellent record against other top 10 players. But um, yeah, Sabalenka had her number in the final on Saturday. Uh, quite an interesting match. It was 6-love in that first set to Sabalenka. Barty took the second 6-3 and then Sabalenka came out on top 6-4 in the third set. So um, this was their third match of the season. Barty had won the previous two. So a uh, nice little bit of revenge for Sabalenka to uh, to overturn, you know, the way that those um, matches were going and and to win her, well, I think it's her third title of the season, I believe. Um, she's really racking up the titles as well. I mean, I suppose her and Barty have been the two um, players over the past few months that have kind of consistently been in, in the most form. Yeah, it was really, really, really impressive from Sabalenka, particularly, I think, after she lost that second set. I think a lot of people, including myself, thought, you know, once Barty had won that second set, you thought, you know, she had figured out the the Sabalenka game and how to, you know, nullify the, you know, the power that she brings to the court. But, you know, fair play to Sabalenka for kind of coming back and winning that third set. I mean, everyone, I think, is going to be talking about that first set, though, because, I mean, six love against the world number one. Uh, after you know she's on a 16 match you know win streak on red clay i mean it was in a final it was just something i don't think anyone of us was expecting i mean it was it was ash barty's first bagel receiving a bagel in four years and just the eighth in her entire professional career so that is something that doesn't happen very often but i mean sabalenka at the moment seems to be on an absolute warpath and you know through to the final she was really, really ruthless. I don't think she 
dropped more than three games in a set uh, or en route to the final. Um, you know, we know her as a, a very much a, a power player. And I think this week, what was really impressive was she was able to, uh, I think in, into the final, you know, she was hitting more winners than unforced errors because we know that she can be, I think, a little bit erratic at times. But I think what's so scary about Sabalenka is if, if she's able to kind of keep it in the the plus differential in terms of you know winners to unforced errors, I do I do genuinely think she could beat you know she could beat anyone in the world. Yeah, when she's on, she's really on. And um, yeah, that first set, she, I think she only hit like one unforced error. Her serve was was right on, and uh, obviously it was scary. She, she didn't keep that level up the whole match, but she did what she needed to in that third set. You know, um, picked up the aggression a bit more in, in those key moments. Really helped her, you know, come through. And um, I think that was, you know, the impressive thing. It's like, yes, she played lights out in that first set, but also when it was closer in that third set, you know, she was able to come through as well. And um, yeah, the last player that, that bageled Ash Barty was Muguruza in 2017 in Toronto. So yeah, that was quite a long time ago now. Um, and also, I just need to correct myself. It's only... Sorry, it's it's Sabalenka's second title of the season, not not her third. So my bad. But she is now uh, up into the uh, the top five. Joel, she's she's now going to be number four in the world. So she's uh, certainly on the on the way up, even even more uh, going in the right direction. And and I feel like obviously we we've spoken before about whether she can do it at a Grand Slam now. But I think it's it's the consistency of having wins like this um, that's going to help her get there. And I think what's interesting this week, she she said she's kind of got a new approach to, to clay as a surface. And previously, I think she's been really trying to change her game to adapt to it. But actually, she's kind of simplifying things and just kind of thinking, OK, yes, I need to use a bit more spin and adapt slightly. But do you don't need to lose like the real core essence of your game and get completely bemuddled and befuddled in you know, changing your strategy completely to suit the surface when otherwise you can, I guess, lose um, what makes you such a good player generally as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's it's interesting because, uh, you know, in that bottom half, you know, we've got a player like Naomi Osaka, you know, we spoke on our last podcast losing to Mukova and, you know, I feel like both those players have quite similar games, you know, in terms of, you know, like to, you know, keep the rally short on a hard court, you know, like to hit winners, etc. you know, from the baseline. And I think Naomi Osaka, you know, she's looking at how she plays, you know, how she needs to play on a, on a clay court to kind of compete with the very best. I think she, you know, could look at Sabalenka in terms of a, a role model, really, in terms of how you play you know, that power game on a clay court and how you can adapt it, um, you know, to face someone like Ash Barty. We, we spoke about Osaka not being the greatest mover, um, you know, going for, you know, going, you know, going for, you know, going for it from the baseline when, you know, maybe it was just baby to be a bit more defensive and wait your moment. And I think kind of Sabalenka has sort of figured that out and is one step is, you know, is one step, uh, you know, further down the path than than Osaka in that respect, and I think that's you know really showing at the moment. And I think what's so fascinating about it is that you know we we probably Kim we were probably talking about Sabalenka. You know, if if she was going to win a Grand Slam, we probably would have said kind of U.S. Open on a, on a hard court. Um, but you know, with this kind of with this victory and kind of the the players she kind of beat, you know, through to the final. You know, Lee's Mertens, uh, you know, Ash Barty, uh, you know, Pavlichenkova in the semi-finals as well. She, I think, has announced herself on on the clay this season, and I do think she has put herself, you know, up there with the you know the main contenders really for the the French Open. I definitely think she's going to be. I definitely think now with this this title, she's going to go in as one of the favourites. Yeah, beating her doubles partner, of course. Well, kind of ex doubles partner. I mean, they don't they sort of on, half play together, don't partner. they? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird relationship. Um, yeah, yeah, and Pavlyuchenkova, nice run to the semis for her, and also for Paula Bedosa, who I think was like the first Spanish woman in a long time to get to that stage. So um, nice stories emerging from Madrid. Pavlyuchenkova, I watched some of that semi final, Kim. She she genuinely looks scared. By how pow- like how powerful Sabalenka was hitting the ball from the baseline. I mean, it was two in love, and I think you know Pavlichenkova just uh, she was a little bit like deer in headlights. I mean, I was I was so happy for her to get to the semifinals, but it was like you know Sabalenka's tennis was just it was just scary, scary good, and th- that for me is the the thing that is is so scary about it is that 
what it's like what happens if she doesn't miss <laughs> she's just going to kind of go you know go through her opponent and you know even someone you know like an ash barty who's got all of these tricks of the trade and knows how to you know work her opponent etc it still feels like if if there is a, an ultra aggressive player who just on their day has one of those moments against you know the world number one it feels like ash, even ash barty is is a bit sort of powerless to do anything yeah, I agree. It's 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 a, an all power game. We've said this before, but yeah, Sabalenka is a force to be reckoned with. But when it's on, you like it's whether you can actually, you know, can she do that like at a slam for seven matches consistently? Um, we shall see. Uh, but just one thing, I, I love how you've um, you know, written on our notes here. You owe Elise Mertens an apology, <laughs> Joel. What's that I about? I do, I do, because I I said I said in our predictions last week, I said I don't care. I don't, now this, I think this is going to live in sort of passing shot infamy from now on. But I said in the last podcast, I don't care how good uh, the form Elise Mertens is in. She's going to lose three and four to Simona Halep. And what happened? She went and beat Simona Halep. So Elise Mertens, uh, this is my, I hope you can accept my apology. Playing great tennis. And I should have never have doubted you and the form that you're in. Um but yeah, no, really good win. Really good win for Mertens against Halep because you know I still I still think Halep is is definitely one of the French Open contenders. Not not really been at the races so far, I think, in you know, in obviously in Madrid. Um but um yeah, Mertens definitely I think she's keeping up that consistency. And I should have recognized her for that, Kim. And before we go for a break, Joel, we also had another women's event in St. Malo in France, uh, which was won by Victoria Golibich. She came through against Jasmine Paolini in straight sets in the final, 6-1-6-3. So this was a 1-2-5 event. So, um, you know, it had sort of players that... I guess lost early in Madrid, uh, went off to play this one. Uh, and golly bitch. Yeah. She, um, she's, at, she's having quite a bit of a resurgence because she won a title earlier in the season. She's, I think this is her fifth final of the year. So she's really, uh, really racking up, um, you know, going, going deep into events. And, uh, yeah, she, she won through against Paulini, um, yeah, I mean, perhaps a dark horse, you know, someone at a slam that you really don't want to come up against in the early round because obviously she won't be seeded. Um, she actually could have lost early on. She uh, was three match points down to Greet Minnan in the second round, uh, came through that one and then obviously went all the way on to win the tournament, which I, I find happens quite a lot with players who, you know, come back from the brink of defeat, win through. They seem to often end up... Uh, sometimes going all the way it's like it was meant to be <laughs> i mean she's in really really good form this season i mean it might be going under people's radars because you know some of those wins are just below the you know the wta kind of tour level but i mean a player who you know has got over 30 wins now this season she's 31 and 6 is definitely going to be someone that yeah you don't want to face and you know we've seen you've seen on the men's side you know players in this sort of you know, just racking up the rims just below the surface, come through, you know, like a Karatsev, you know, Ivashka as well. Um, you know, we saw Podoroska last year, you know, come out of nowhere. So it definitely, it definitely could happen. Um, and, you know, Golubich is definitely one of those players who is, is very, very handy on her day and is just kind of carrying on her form, you know, all the way through, whether that's on hard court, clay court, whatever, indoor court. Um, so, yeah, she's doing really, really well at the moment. I mean, five, five finals in her eight tournaments she's played in in 21 I mean that just I don't care what level you're in Mm. I don't sorry I don't care what kind of sort of state the status that the tournament is that sort of form just shows you're playing good tennis yeah whether it's ITF some of those are ITF um, events but it's like wins are wins and it's having that confidence and just getting used to that winning feeling um, can definitely work wonders when you do get to the higher level event. So um, if she can get her ranking higher, you know, and be consistently up there, then, you know, she can, she can go, she can go further places. Um, I'd love to see her getting up there. So uh, we're going to take a quick break now, uh, but do join us in the second half. We'll be looking at all the news from the last week, uh, Stritzker's retirement, uh, the Billie Jean King cup, uh, location debate and also looking at the draws in Rome and previewing that event so uh, join us in a second (laughs) 
This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim, and we are now in the second half of today's podcast. Uh, we're going to begin, as always, Joel, with a bit of mysterious player before we go back to all the the news and uh, events from the world of tennis. So going to go back a bit uh, in time, and I'm going to give you a player to guess. Uh, are you scared, ready? Kim. I'm scared, Kim, because I, I know I gave you a pretty hard pretty hard one last week so i'm i'm nervous whether you've gone like completely completely sort of really niche for me just to make it just to make it that that much harder i know you gave me a difficult one but uh joel but i can't remember who it was now from last week <laughs> it's gone completely it out was Yelena dokic i know you've, oh it that was, was it yeah, yeah. <laughs> really stayed in my memory um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think this one's probably uh, a bit easier, but um, okay. we'll see. We'll see how we get on. Um, clue number one. Okay, I was born on the twenty seventh of August, nineteen seventy six. Tim Henman. <laughs> no, it's oh. not Tim Henman, but you know, good shout. Uh, clue number two. On the seventeenth of November, two thousand and ten, I announced my retirement from tennis uh, because of a long-standing foot injury. So there, there probably are, I probably are around Tim Henman's age. I just actually, just naturally, just shouted Tim Henman. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, I'm going to say two thousand ten. Mm. Fabrice Santoro. No, no, uh, not bad though. Not bad. Uh, I have won 20 career titles. Ooh, so quite quite a few. Um 20. Oh, oh, I think I'm oh, I think I might know this. Is it Is it Nicolas Almagro? No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> okay. Did Almagro win 20 titles? I don't know. But uh no, no, it's not Almagro. Yes, yes he did. He's... All on clay. No, oh, no. yeah. I used to love a bit of Almagro. I used to get really worked up in matches. Um, okay. Christian Garin reminds me of Nicholas Almagro for some reason. Oh, I don't, I okay. I don't really know what. Anyway, let's, let's continue. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I am now a coach on the ATP tour. Is it? Okay. I think I know. Okay, right. Is it Nicholas Massu? <laughs> No, it's not Nicholas Matty. Oh, thought I had it. Thought I had it. <laughs> um, okay. And my next uh, clue is: I lost against the player I am now coaching in the quarterfinals of the 2007 French Open. Oh, I thought you were going to say Wimbledon. I'm going to say. Uh, I want to. For some reason, I want to say Ivan Lubacic. <laughs> That's a good guess, but it's not correct, I'm afraid. Um, okay. Uh, let's, I'm just kind of picking from my clues because I think some of them you will instantly get this when I say them. So let's go with this. Um, I am well remembered for a match against Tim Henman at Wimbledon, uh, in the first round, which was a five set thriller. Um, the fifth set was one thirteen eleven by Tim Henman. This is obviously pre the days of a well twelve all fifth set tiebreak. <laughs> Not that that would have made any difference because it'd been the same number of games. Um, um, Tim Henman fifth set at Wimbledon. Um, oh, I mean, I follow a lot of Tim Henman matches back in the day. Um, I want to say. And sorry, that was in uh, 2007. I should have added the year, but I forgot. <laughs> um, Sheng Shalkin? Who's that? <laughs> Sheng Shalkin? I've, I've never heard of that person. Is that not right? Sh- should I know who that person is? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's not right, no. Um, okay. I Okay, ne- right, next clue. I... I'm a former world number one and won the French Open in 1998. Ooh, French Open 1998. What's that? Marcelo Rios. 1998. Oh, hang on. I think I know this, actually. Is it Carlos Moya? 
Yes, it is Carlos yeah. Moya. Way. <laughs> I was just about to say I've been Rafa Nadal's coach since 2016. Um, yes, team part of Team Rafa. Um, big fan of Carlos Moya in this household. Uh, obviously, very successful Spanish player and long time mate of Rafa, coach of Rafa now. And there we go. Yeah, well done. You got got there in the end, Joel. <laughs> Yes, he yeah, he was a very 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 good player. He always wore that the he always loved the the sleeveless the sleeveless look to show off his tattoo is all I can all I I always remember him for. Yeah, and you were very close Joel, and you were saying, you know, Lubacic, Messi, mm. you were definitely on the right path very Cause, early on. Cuz so. Lubacic is like is in Federer's camp and he, he yeah. I'm confident he lost him at Wimbledon. So I was like I was thinking I was thinking it's got to be Lubacic, got to be and then you said French Open and I was like it's probably not Lubacic, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to the tennis listeners. Let us know um, how well how well you did with that one. Uh, I'm sure loads of Rafa fans out there probably got that uh, much sooner than you, Joel. But um, oh, actually, before we get on, we've got a mailbag question, Joel, which is uh, I love this one. This is from Topspin Lobber uh, on Twitter. And they have asked us, Joel, uh, a really interesting question. If you could give a miracle run to the French Open title to a current male French player, who would you choose? That's a great question. That is a very good question. And I think it only has one answer for me. And that is Joe Wilfred Songer. Um, I just think he, I think he, unfortunately, I think he's going to be a player who, when he does retire, will be in that category with, you know, players like David Nalbandian in terms of bags of talent, but didn't get, uh, didn't ever get a, a grandstand because of the, you know, the era that they they found themselves in. Um, I just think, yeah, he had so much ability. You know, he got to that, he got to the Australian Open final in, in 2008, but you know, since then he, you know, he's got to, I think, four kind of semi-finals across the French Open and Wimbledon. Um, so I think, I feel like he deserves it. And, you know, I feel like if we're in, a, in an alternate universe where, you know, injuries weren't a thing, maybe it, it would have happened. Um, but yeah, for me, Songa, he's such a, he's such a great character, a great kind of showman on the court. You know, we've, We've seen some fantastic matches with him at, at Wimbledon. I always remember that five-set match he had, I think with Andy Murray on when Andy Murray went and won one of his Wimbledon titles, he he had a five set match with Songa, which it, uh, I was watching. I remember watching outside my work at a pub on a screen. It just had absolutely everyone captivated. So for me, um, yeah, I would go Joe Wilfred Songa. I think for me, I would say Gail Monfils, uh, just because he's such an entertaining, likable character, and I think you know I I love it when the French fans like get behind someone and they're like laying left right and center and I think Gail Monfils is just the ultimate guy to to sit and watch and get the crowd going um with all his shot making and drama so for me Monfils but I would say special mention to Julian Beneteau because I know he's <laughs> retired and the, the question is asking for a current male player but Julian Beneteau never even won a singles title anywhere so for him to have uh, you know, a, a hypothetical, miraculous French Open singles title would be exciting. I think he won the doubles there, but, you know, it's a different kettle of fish. Just so, you know, whenever someone says, you know, whenever, you know, Auger Aliassim loses another final and everyone brings up that Julian Beneteau stat, <laughs> at least it would give Beneteau that sort of res- a quick-witted response to be like, oh, yes, but did they win a Grand Slam title? And yeah, Beneteau could be like, because I won the French Open. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's Beneteau would be a good, great shout too. I would just say, I don't actually want these players to win the French Open because that would mean Rafa didn't win it. So um, caveat there, as a Rafa fan, obviously, you know, Rafa comes first. <laughs> um, but anyway, I know this is just like a hypothetical. So anyway, thanks for the question. Um, I do love those sorts of ones. So um, anyway, let's get back to the tennis um, and talk about the Billie Jean King Cup because uh, the, well, it was due to be happening in Budapest, like the finals, which was due to take place last April and were then supposed to be taking place, I think, later this season. And it was supposed to be a three-year deal, so it would have been taking place in the city, um, you know, for the next few years. But they have basically pulled out. Um, They've said we can't stage it uh, safely because of COVID and that, you know, they're not willing to basically put up the money 
for this event. It can't be justified um, and they're not able to host it at all. Uh, so the ITF are now looking at alternative locations. Interesting, really interesting news. Um, you know, not not the news I think you know the ITF uh, would have wanted. I'm sure they're pretty unhappy with the Hungarian Tennis Association at the moment, given the you know the short you know short time frame they're kind of working with now. I think you know they're looking to have the finals you know at the end of this season. I think you know in like November time or, or whenever. So they're going to have to move pretty sharpish in terms of you know finding a kind of replacement and i'm sure they'll probably get you know quite a few kind of suitors kind of put in their their applications but really yeah time is of the essence and i'm sure we've not heard the the least of the fallout between you know the itf and the 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 hungarian tennis association i mean it sounds just kind of reading between the lines it sounds like uh you know the hungarian tennis association they offered a lot perhaps you know financially arguably they offered too much to the itf and now they've realized they can't do it and they're sort of using i feel like maybe they're maybe using covid as a as their sort of get out of jail free card um maybe but um anyway we're in this situation and now obviously the the big question kim is where is where is the billie jean king cup finals going to be held you know if it is in november uh the tour finals were at the o2 would that be a suitable venue? Uh, yes, please bring it to London, basically, is, is was my gut instinct. Yeah, or uh, people are saying the NEC in Birmingham, you know, uh, I think Glasgow or were trying to get the Davis Cup, weren't they? Or, or, or a venue in Scotland were trying to get the Davis Cup, but didn't. So perhaps it could go up there. Um, I mean, yeah, it'd be fantastic to have it in Britain somewhere. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure there are a plethora of other arenas but they need to have quite a few courts don't they so um that's i guess gonna have to be looked into but hopefully they'll be able to find somewhere to stage it and uh, yeah i'd love to have it on home soil and with the potential of fans but <laughs> we shall we shall see <laughs> i know a lot of people on our twitter were obviously very hopeful that it would be um at home <laughs> i think if it is in the uk i mean obviously we would love that and you know it, it hopefully you know our, our covid situation is is pretty good now and should be you know come you know later in the year um i guess yeah multi-court facility is probably going to be one thing you know this isn't just you know an exhibition style for the you know the top eight players this is for teams so i guess the facility is going to have to be bigger you know i guess can the o2 really accommodate that is a question mark which which potentially means somewhere like the the nec or i don't know alexandra palace you know somewhere that has big open space if they've got the availability in their calendar, given it's such short notice, could be, you know, could be an option. The other kind of factor, I guess, at play is, you know, they're probably going to want it at a place where um, there's going to be home support, i.e. there's going to be a team that they know is kind of guaranteed in the finals and GB aren't there yet. We're going to be in a, a playoff. Um, but again, that might be a sort of a thing that the ITF might factor into their consideration. Yeah, watch this space. We will uh, obviously be reporting it as soon as we hear anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, other points in tennis this week, Joel. Uh, Barbara Stritzkova has announced her retirement from professional tennis. Uh, she is due to have a baby. Uh, so obviously she was going to be taking some time out for that. But um, she has said that she's not coming back afterwards. She's she's going to completely quit uh, tennis uh, for now and you know go into the next stage of her life so yeah really sad news because obviously she's she's you know kind of I, not at the peak of her career but you know she was right up there in the double still um obviously won Wimbledon in 2019 with Sue Shea and actually reached the semis in the singles that year so you know she's had some amazing results of late and um yeah it'd be a shame to see her go I think the plan is, I think she is going to try and use a protected ranking to play one more event. And I think she's quietly holding that back for Wimbledon. Uh, you know, she's got such great memories there. You know, it's a tournament that she holds very close to her heart. So I think that hopefully can give, give her a proper send off in, in front of fans. But yeah, it's, it's fun. It's in, it's interesting that, you know, it sounds like it didn't, I think this was quite, quite unexpected for the tennis community, but it sounds like, you know, she's, you know, just become a mum. She's given birth and it's given her a new perspective on life and as a result of that maybe she's just kind of thinking about kind of the next steps but I think you know if we look back on her career and you know what we kind of remember for her for I think you know for me she's one of those players who 
was a very good singles player and a very, very good doubles player. And there are not many players, you know, who are like that. And that really did culminate at the, you know, the 2019 Wimbledon where she won the, the ladies doubles and got to the, the semi-finals of the singles. British fans remember she beat Joe Conter in the, the quarterfinals. Um, but, you know, she's an absolutely kind of fantastic player and an absolutely fantastic, um, you know, part of, you know, Czech Republic tennis because, you know, she was part of the, you know, the Fed Cup team that won in 2011, 2012, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2018. She won 22 matches for her country. So she, it just shows you how much of a, you know, a big influence she had on the, you know, the success of, of you know, Czech tennis and, you know, not necessarily in the singles kind of category, but, you know, the doubles really, it kind of was, a, you know, she really was a, a linchpin for the, the team throughout, pretty much throughout the, the whole of the, you know, 2010 decade yeah she's a very significant player and annoyingly though yeah I think she will be remembered for that Conta match uh at Wimbledon where she beat her I know <laughs> oh but um yeah great player and always very um very likable on court as well so um yeah she will be missed and I mean who knows that I'm very skeptical about retirements because I'm always thinking players are gonna change their mind you said this last week back. you said this last week but yeah who knows I mean yeah, maybe she'll do a Kim, a Kim Kleisters, although I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's happening to Kim Kleisters. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what is, uh, yeah, I haven't really heard anything from that camp, but, um, that brings us on to, well, let's take a look at Rome before we finish because it is underway, uh, already. And we've got, uh, well, Novak Djokovic is back. He's, uh, playing the Rome event. So he's obviously the top seed, uh, in the men's side of, of, of affairs. Uh, interestingly, he could play Dan Evans in the second round and in a repeat of that uh, Monte Carlo match. And that's if Dan Evans can get through Taylor Fritz, which I say he should get through that one, but you never know. Um, yeah. What do you make of the men's draw, Joel? Djokovic, I think, has got a pretty hard draw, to, to be fair to him. Could face Dan Evans, who beat him in... Monte Carlo. He's got Sissipas, who's you know obviously been very good. Alexander Boblik uh, could play Sissipas uh, in in the second round. That could be very tasty. Berrettini as well is the ninth seed, and he's in that uh, quarter with Djokovic. So some real uh, big inform clay play, clay court players um, in that top quarter for Djokovic to uh, you know battle and, and come through. Bashlashvili. I mean Bashlashvili Berrettini. That could. That is going to be an absolute... I don't want to be a tennis ball in that match, basically. Uh, that's going to be completely uh, very heavy-hitting ground strokes, you'd imagine, from the back of the court. Um, and then in that sort of second quarter, you've got kind of Dominic Team and, and Rublev as the kind of standouts. I mean, I was quite impressed with Dominic Team in terms of uh, this week getting to the semi-finals. I mean, I think he had quite a kind draw, um, but he showed quite... He, sh- he showed a very good level, I think, in that loss to to Zverev and um, I think that was very promising for for him and again I have no reason you know looking again at that quarter I think that's quite a nice quarter for him um, I mean Rublev could have Struth uh, in the second round as well so that could also be quite a, a tough opener for him. I know this sounds a bit weird but when I watched a bit of team in the week I thought I have a funny feeling he might win the French Open this year and I know that sounds it, it, it doesn't it wouldn't sound daft had he not had last few months that he's had but I just feel like no one will be thinking about him they'll have written him off because of his terrible year and he'll just have no pressure and suddenly turn on the form that we know he he can do and and you know it it is like he'll I I don't know anyway that this is going off course but I just wanted to get that out there (laughs) um yeah we've also got Gail Monfils back uh, which is nice to see he's in that team section of the draw um and then the bottom half uh Rafa's actually got Zverev as a potential course final again so that would be interesting should they meet for the second week in a row uh but Rafa does have potentially Yannick Sinner in the second round uh which I don't know what Sinner's you know Sinner wasn't particularly playing um that well last week you know had that early loss to popper in so we'll see on that one um, the Schwartzman Medvedev quarter is the quarter I think yeah. anyone could partic- could kind of come through that one. Uh, a Karatsev, perhaps, you know, he's still not seeded Karatsev. You know, he's, he still needs to get his ranking up there a bit higher. It doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, as you said, you've got um, 
you've got Karatsev in that quarter. You've got Salvatore Caruso as well, who has got a wild card. Um, Kim, he so lost be... today. He lost. Oh, did he I'm lose afraid. today? Oh, okay. Yeah, sadly. Good fan. Okay. <laughs> <I was gutted>. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that feels that quarter feels wide open. I think Schwartzman will want to. You know, we've not really been speaking a lot about Schwartzman and. Um, you know, I think he'll want to put that right in Rome. So he'll be hoping, I think, for a good run. I saw him today practicing with Andy Murray, who's out there just being uh, like a high profile practice partner to to anyone that wants him, really. But um, yeah, um, I think Schwartzman, Schwartzman could have a point to prove. Medvedev has a point to prove. So that feels completely wide open um, in, yeah, particularly in, the, in that third quarter. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we do have some interesting uh first round matches lined up I suppose I mean I think the pick of them for me is probably Shapovalov against Kasper Ruud I'd expect Kasper Ruud to come through that one but um, obviously both you know very notable names and a bit of a blast in the past Kane and Shikori Fabio Fognini I think that's uh, quite a classic match there and Hubert Hercaj Lorenzo Massetti as well so some interesting first round matches um, we'll get on to predictions in a second Joel let's just look at the women's draw because interestingly we've got um serena williams is back in action so haven't haven't heard from her in a while since the uh australian open so i don't know what to expect uh to be quite honest from her but um all eyes will certainly be on her and she actually has naomi osaka in her quarter and obviously osaka hasn't had the best week so far on clay she hasn't uh well she hasn't got past the quarterfinals in in both of her two events but um obviously I, ex- I would expect her to do that at some point on clay this season um but the first quarter we actually as well at the top of the draw have Barty and Sabalenka potentially on course to meet yet again but in the quarterfinals this time so obviously I I feel like with those two are they gonna get there are they are they feel, I feel like they've both played so much tennis of late especially Barty are they gonna kind of fade out are they gonna be too tired I'm not sure. I do think, though, that Bar- Barty Sabalenka, when, when the season finishes, I think we're going to be looking back on the, the Barty Sabalenka as the, one of the rivalries that really, you know, has blossomed this season because they put on some absolutely fantastic matches. But that, for, that top quarter again is, is similarly loaded. Um, you know, quite hard draws, I feel, you know, for Djokovic, but also for Ash Barty because Elise Mertens, uh, potentially could be there in the, the third round for Ash Barty. Maria Sakari as well could play Sabalenka um, in the third round. So some really, um, you know, again, it's quite loaded in that top quarter. I think the second quarter is a little bit more up for grabs. I mean, Kenin and Svitolina. I mean, Muguruza and Sviontek, um have first round matches. And for me, they are the, the form players who I sort of would expect to come through and maybe face each other in the, the quarterfinals. I'm not sure... I mean, I'm not sure how we're seeing Kenin as the fourth seed get to the semi-finals, but but who knows? You know, she is a French Open finalist. She is, and she's just sacked her father as her coach this week. So oh, is that she, right? Okay, she has. Yeah. So obviously, needing to make some changes. You know, she's had a really poor season, but I, I, yeah, genuinely, yeah, she's the fourth seed, but that's not based on anything current. So I would be looking at Muguruza, Sviontek, Karolina Mukova. You know, she's in there unseeded. All of those places. I mean, Pavlyuchenkova, obviously semi-finalist last week. Uh, she's up against Muguruza in the first round, which is, you know, a ridiculous first round, it, it, you know, in light of that. So, <laughs> and then the third quarter is Pliskova against Halep. Um, I think this is a decent draw for Halep um, and Pliskova, to be honest. I mean, he's got Kvitova lurking as well. So I would expect either one of those to make it through to the semis, uh, potentially the final as well, if, if Serena and Osaka are kind of undercooked on the clay. Um, but we do have some, well, some notable exceptions. Andreescu pulled out. Um, we saw that in the Miami final, she, uh, you know, pulled, well, retired from that with, with an injury. So I, I feel like she's obviously still giving herself time to come back from that. And, and Venus Williams as well has pulled out and, which is a shame because she was due to play Pliskova in the first round, which, um, it is sort of quite mad because Venus won this event in 1999. Pliskova won it in 2019. <laughs> so yeah, wow. two two winners, 20 years apart of that event. They were due to play each other, but actually that's bumped uh, Pliskova up to to take the position of the eighth seeding. So, um, but yes, I I think we should make some predictions, Joel. Uh, 
which we can laugh about in a week. <laughs> what have you got for your Rome, uh, your Italian Open predictions this week? So for the men, uh, my two semi-finals are Djokovic team and Nadal Karatsev. Um, I think Nadal's going to come back strong in Rome, much more friendlier like environment. I feel for him, and I think Djokovic is going to do Novak Djokovic and just just come through it to face Dominic Team, who I thought looked very good uh, this week, uh, Barra Alexander Zverev semi-final. So I think I've got those as my four semi-finalists. I've got a Djokovic Nadal final, um, and I've got Djokovic as the winner. Um, I just think, yeah, I think Djokovic. You know, we I know he lost that match to, to Karatsev um in his home tournament, but I don't think I think he looked very good. Um it wasn't a loss where you know that sent kind of you know flashed sort of warning warning sirens. I think we've seen Nadal play kind of worse tennis and, and lose kind of like worsely. <laughs> don't even know if that's a word. But um <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I I think Djokovic he'll come back. I think Djokovic will yeah, I think Djokovic will come through and, and win and win the Italian Open. What about you? Yeah, it was hard for me not to put him as the winner because, you know, it's just, it is Novak Djokovic after all. But I've gone for Djokovic and team, like you. And then I've gone for David Goffin against Nadal in the se- second semi final because, like I said, there's that third quarter, which I think someone random will come through. And Goffin is the man I've chosen. And then I've got my finalist team against Nadal. Um, for some reason, I think team's going to play lights out again and beat Novak. But I've gone for Rafa to win. Uh, and I guess that is wishful thinking, obviously. The alternative but, um, weeks sort of yeah, strategy. Yeah, that's in. my thinking, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then for the women, Joel, I've gone for Balti Muguruza in the first semi and then Pliskova against Bencic in the second oh, semi. wow. Pliskova. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, she has got form at this event and I just feel like her draw is actually quite decent, apart from maybe Kvitova, but, you know. I'm sure she'll get through it. <laughs> and I feel like Pliskova Halep in the quarter. I just, I just have a thing, feeling about Pliskova, like she might suddenly do something. Um, final, I've gone for Muguruza Bencic. Um, I'm not really sure where the Bencic prediction's coming from, uh, but I've gone for Muguruza to win, basically, um, which I, I, I feel like there's quite an out there set of players, perhaps, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> We've not really heard much from Muguruza, so I'd, I'd love that to happen. Um, I have gone, uh, in my women's predictions, I've gone with quite a few of the S's. I've gone like trigger happy on on the S's. So my first semi-final is Sabalenka Sviontek. Um, I think Sabalenka will come through Barty uh, in that, that top quarter. And I think Sviontek uh she's i think she's looked really good apart from the game that that match against uh barty so i think that will be the top the the top half semi-final i've got simona halep serena williams bottom half semi-final which could be quite tasty i mean i know that i think that's asking a lot more from serena williams and simona halep given you know I, I, i'm still don't really know are, are we really thinking serena williams can win the french open or is she more of a dare I say, an Andy Murray-esque sort of side kind of sideshow going on at the moment. I, I don't know, um, but I've got her in in my kind of semi-final against Simona Halep. Um, but my final is Sabalenka versus Simona Halep with Halep winning. Oh, so you think Halep will reverse, you know, the kind of performance yeah, against... Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Sabalenka will... I think Sabalenka won't run out of steam until the final uh, when Simona Halep will run her ragged and uh, win the title. So that's what, that's what I'm going for. Right. So we'll see how <laughs> wrong all of those will probably be. <laughs> okay. yeah, oh dear. Um, I think that brings us to a close um, for this week, Joel. Obviously uh, we will be back next week with a catch up of Rome, uh, which we're very much looking forward to. Uh, but until then, I think I think that's us for uh, for another week on tour. <laughs> yes, another week, another week with the passing shot. Absolutely, uh, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this catch up. If you want to stay up to date on all the tennis world, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to.
to date with the passing shot. And if you have been enjoying listening to the show and want to help the show out, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like, give us a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can message us on there if you've got any questions or any feedback. Uh, we always love to hear from all our listeners. And you can also email us as well if you prefer PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with another Passing Shot catch up, taking in all the events from Rome and the Italian Open. Uh, we do actually have a special announcement that we're going to be making midweek uh, with regards to the show, with regards to the future of the show. It's very, very exciting news. Um, and we're really excited to kind of share that with you. We'll probably put out a little mini sort of three four minute announcement on uh tuesday or wednesday so look out for that but um yeah we'll be posting it on social media as well so look out for that it's uh really really exciting news and yeah uh see you again soon Kim, I can't help but notice Paula Bedosa. Is she Maria Sharapova in disguise? <laughs> well, there is a certain similarity, isn't there? And I know that she uh, said her idol, you know, growing up was Sharapova. So um, I can definitely see a bit of, of that going on. But um, a Spanish Sharapova. <laughs> I really, I really want her. If she wins a it will, next title, she wins. I want her to like phone her dad and and go into the crowd, a la Sharapova at Wimbledon uh, when she was a teenager. Oh, two thousand and four. Gosh, that was seventeen years ago.